Barnyard Language. We are Katie and Arlene, an Iowa sheep farmer and an Ontario dairy farmer with six kids, two husbands, and a whole lot of chaos between us. So kick off your boots, reheat your coffee, and join us for some Barnyard Language, honest talk about running farms and raising families. In case your kids haven't already learned all the swears from being in the barn, it might be a good idea to put on some headphones or turn down the volume. While many of our guests are professionals, they aren't your professionals. If you need personalized advice, consult your people. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Barnyard Language. We're thank you. We're thankful, grateful, who knows? Thanks for listening today. Anyway, we'll start with the usual update where I ask Katie what's going on in Iowa. Katie, what's going on in Iowa? It is somehow 80-some degrees Fahrenheit today. It was yesterday as well. It's supposed to be all week until Saturday, which is the boy child's fifth birthday party, when... Um, the weather has been saying it was supposed to be gorgeous for like the last two weeks. It's been promising beautiful weather on Saturday, and now it's down to like 48 degrees and pouring rain, and I have a shit ton of five-year-olds coming over. So, Perfect. super stoked about that. Um, That's going to be great. Yeah. We are, I think, totally done with lambing. Um, we have... You told me last week you yeah, were. Yeah, well, so I, I, I feel so. more secure in that now. Uh, yeah, not, nothing's happened nothing, in the past week. You know, knock, knock on wood, nothing has happened. Um, we're starting to think about field work. The guys got oats delivered slash picked up. I don't know who brought them. Um, but we'll be putting oats in soon. We grow our own feed for our cattle and our sheep, so we do oats as part of our row crop rotation. And um, other than that, not a whole heck of a lot. The boy child has been submitting his birthday dinner requests. We are now up to macaroni and cheese and sausage and black beans, which is apparently what he wants for his birthday supper. So who knows? Sure. Sounds delicious. Yeah. Go for it. And cake. And he intends to have all of this at grandpa and grandma's house. And no, he does not care that we were not invited over there so you know (laughs) he gets to pick the location too yeah uh what's happening at your place arlene so last week i was very overconfident i talked about the fact that my husband was going away for a couple days and it would be fine and that we had no interviews booked and i was going to have free time in my schedule how'd that work out that did not happen it did not did not work it out well. Work out. Yeah, so we got a got some kind of weird, crazy ice storm, which resulted in two days of bus cancellations. So those were my two free days, um, and it also resulted in a lot of power outages. So we were out of power from Wednesday afternoon until midday Friday. Um, So that meant generators running at our place and at my in-laws. And then we also have two tenants who most of the time, if there's a power outage, it's not a huge deal. Um, They just cope like the rest of the world does who don't have generators, except in the spring when there's an ice storm and there's like a day long pouring rain. And they have basements that need some pumps running. So, yeah, while my husband away, I spent one evening in a tenant's basement with one of my 
well, currently my most favorite neighbor who came to help me um, set up sump pumps because he the tenant went and bought a generator and got his sump pump running. But at that point, the water was almost over the top of rubber boots and it wasn't going to be able to catch up. So we had to go and get a second one running. There was a second one in the basement that no was no longer running, of course. And then the next morning, the other tenant called that their basement had flooded. So then we had to go and figure that out and get a generator from someone else. And so it was not quite the, um, the smooth sailing that I was expecting, but it all worked out in the end. Well, except that the first house, now both the furnace and hot water heater got written off and we have to replace them. So that's an added fun expense because we didn't get the water down fast enough or quick enough. So yeah, just one more fun thing to add to the budget this month. Plus it's always super fun to be standing in water and dealing with electrical things like a sump pump. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And extension cords and yeah. And yeah. And someone else's old house. Cause the, the thing with that house, my husband and I actually lived there when we first got married. It's like a 1920s house, but at some point there was a fire and um, the house is actually built on an older foundation. So while that house was built in the 20s, the foundation is probably from the 1800s. So it's like an old stone foundation that, I mean, the water just pours in in the spring. And we know that, like we live there too. But if the sump pump is not running constantly, there you just, yeah, you can't stay ahead of that disaster. So, yay. Yeah, we also have a, a lot of fun. our house also has a stone foundation and a dirt floor basement. So I... Mm-hmm. I get that. Um, new gutters helped a lot, and we are now in the process of figuring out how to put uh, French drains around the outside of the foundation so that it channels mm-hmm. the water away. But it is still, we have a, a permanent yeah. sump there's pump. Al- there's always going to yeah. be some, yeah, there's going to be some moisture there no matter what in the spring. Yeah. Yeah, so that was that was last week, so that was a, a delightful. There was Easter, too. What did you guys do for Easter? Um fed my children their body weight and sugar and then was surprised when all hell broke loose because they had been eating sugar for like four straight days i know right um no every year we go over to my in-laws for easter which is convenient because they live across the road so there's no traveling really um and my mom came up for the weekend and we have some neighbors who don't have any local family and their little boy is the same age as the boy child so they came over and uh hunted easter eggs and ate ham and it was it was pretty chill it's nice you know we're not real ham ham and chocolate perfect yep yep. all the all the major food groups ham butter and chocolate so uh animal (laughs) fat and chocolate basically um yeah yeah got signed up for our csa share that starts next week so that's very exciting stuff we have some local friends who run a csa and I've finally decided that I, I do. I like to garden. I like to grow vegetables. We have plenty of space. We have tools. You know, we, we're well set up for it. I don't have the time or the energy. And my kids are too little to help. Yeah. And that's okay. I'd, I've realized that this way I can support a local business and I get to see my friends every week and I get a much wider variety of vegetables than I would get if I grew them. And I. I don't have to grow them. And you wouldn't have vegetables next week anyway. No, I would not. No. Um. (laughs) 
I'm guessing they have greenhouses. Yeah, they do. And they actually bought a retail greenhouse in their small town. So I can get all my bedding plants and that from them because I do still put some flowers in. And uh, Saturday night was the 11th anniversary of my first date with Jim. And since our wedding anniversary is next month and in usually in the middle of planting, um, we just kind of go out whenever we can. So we went out for supper and that was lovely. And nice. So, nice. Nice weekend. So. <laughs> Great. Well, this week we actually have our third in a stretch of UK guests. We've had a a good run of uh, new voices on the podcast. So hopefully you've all been enjoying some cool accents. And uh, this week we have another one. I realized that we need to get on a Welsh guest and then we will have hit all four countries in the UK and really... That's true. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, Dr. Sean lives in England, but he was definitely of the Irish persuasion. So we're uh, getting some good coverage. And Dr. Thebe also lives in England, but is Scottish. So. Yeah, yeah. that's right. If, <laughs> if anybody has a Welsh guest that they would like to recommend, let us know and we'll. Uh... You can live in Wales or England or anywhere else that you want, really. We're just looking for cool accents. Yeah. yeah. So. Yes. All right. Exciting. Let's bring her on. All right. So today we're excited to be talking to Millie Fife, who's joining us from Northamptonshire in the United Kingdom. So Millie, we start each of our interviews with the same question, and this is a way to introduce yourselves to our listeners, and we ask, what are you growing? So for the farming folks, that covers crops and livestock, that can also include kids and businesses and lots of other things. So Millie, what are you growing? (laughs) Well, firstly, thank you so much for having me on your podcast. Um, It's nice to go across the pond um, and to talk to you. Um, in different time zones, which is really exciting. Um, what am I growing? Um, so we're here in Northamptonshire. My husband and I have 100 beef suckler cattle. So um, we're, we're producing them for our local butcher. We have around 300 breeding ewes. Um, we'll be going into lambing season um, in the spring. Um, we're just currently scanning the sheep at the moment so we know what we're going to have um, so we can manage our business effectively and feed the girls what they need to be fed. We have some arable crop as well. So we grow grass for hay and silage. And then we have wheat and barley as well. And I also have some rare breed Gloucester Old Spot pigs. Um, I do a little meat box scheme. And um, not so much a meat box scheme now because after having, I was going to say, I, I have two children as well. So after having the children, it became a little bit more of a juggle um, to do the meat box side of things. But I do whole pig half pigs for the freezers and also a number of sausages which basically are in the in the freezer all the time so I've got access to them and all my sort of neighbors and friends sort of say hey Millie have you got sausages um <laughs> so I like to keep the local community well fed and well stocked with, with with sausages as well um so yeah I've got two young little boys Angus and Dougie who are three and five um so they keep me um quite busy um and then we've got a a a walled garden here um i'm very keen on growing my own vegetables um and it's something that i um took from my father who got me very immersed in organic vegetable growing from a young age so i've got a little polytunnel on a greenhouse um and an area at the bottom of the garden where i like to grow everything from sweet corn to runner beans to tomatoes to yeah lots of things and i get the children very much involved with that too and then my sort of farm diversification, as it were, is me in the sense that I run my own PR and marketing business as well. So when I'm not sort of 
doing all the other things on the farm or raising the children, um, I'm supporting other food and farming business with their own PR and marketing, which is all very exciting. And that's really what helps to pay the bills. Yeah. Doesn't sound like a lot of time for sleep or anything, <laughs> any of those other things. Though. No, no, no. I'm a firm believer of asking a busy person to get the job done. And that's, you know, I think why a lot of people call upon me for for their help um but i'm now getting better at kind of diary management and uh, actually blocking out time and thinking actually is this best use of my time and now i'm starting to learn to say no to things yeah, so that, that's a good <laughs> skill to have so since we have lots of uh, farmers listening that we always want to know what uh, what kind of cows what kind of sheep all the the details on breeds and all that kind of stuff yeah sure so um the beef cattle are um continental cattle um so normally uh, a limousine cross or we also have some angus as well um we don't have a stock bull on the farm at the moment my husband does a lot of the artificial insemination himself um which uh you know for various different reasons is a, is quite a good help um we did used to have um a small herd of pedigree british blues as well um but they weren't particularly easy carving and we had quite a few high and heavy um vet bills with a lot of cesarean sections so um we've kind of gone away from them a little bit um but the butcher seems to like our limousine cross so we kind of stick with that really and stick to what we know in that respect and actually my husband today went to the market took four beasts to to the market um which is about a 15 20 mile um journey from from here so everything's quite relative our butchers is only um uh, uh, five miles up the road from us so in terms of lo- low, low food miles a lot of people are quite keen um to support us because mm-hmm. of that and then sheep um we've got te- texel cross north country mules um so again they're a good meaty carcass um pretty easy lambing um and it's what what we've uh used breeding wise for for a number of years um so that seems to suit our system well we grow um we've got quite a good um climate here so grass grows well um we're sort of over to the eastern side of the uk so um the grounds is is quite hard um and and um but it it does drain pretty well as well so we're kind of we get enough rain but it's not too dry either so i suppose (laughs) we're in a bit of an ideal location where it is quite a uh livestock heavy area um but we're well balanced well suited for for growing um cereal crop as well millie did you say you're raising normandy limousine cross cattle was it no no um continent okay yeah um what are they crossed with then or is continental the breed you guys have all sorts of different things Uh, over there that we have yeah yeah sure so what what i mean is um uh, so they're not native to the uk um so con- continental being a a, a french uh, limousine being a french breeder breeder cattle um i i actually used to um before i had children i was um chief executive of the uh, beef shorthorn um society which is another native breed of cattle to the uk it's one of the oldest actually in in the in the world it's it's got the oldest herd book in the world which is really interesting as well so um yeah so that that's sort of where where we've we've sort of chosen to uh stick stick with our breeds is either with a limousine um and we have had angus we did have an angus bull actually but he's now gone and um we're, we're sticking with um with ai instead so I have one really nosy question. Is Millie Fife your actual name or is it a pen name? I'm I'm imagining that your real name is like Regina Snodgrass or something. 
that would be less <laughs> no no less no, palatable no. My, name, my name is yeah no absolutely I've actually trademarked I recently trademarked my name so my name my actual name is Millie Fife um my full name is Camilla uh Fife uh so Fife is my married name my husband is, is a Fife and um it's actually a Scottish name um so my husband's family are originally from Aberdeenshire in the north of Scotland and their family moved down to the farm where we are today um, in the 1970s. So um, very much Scottish heritage, hence why our sons are called Angus and Dougie, which are, or Douglas, which are our Scottish names. So um, actually when, when we got married, uh, Andrew got married wearing a kilt as well. So we sort of, well, we don't have Scottish accents. There's not, not very many um, of Andrew's family left that have moved down that have got an accent anymore. But uh, we like to sort of keep, keep, that nod to our heritage and um i enjoy cooking haggis and uh various scottish dishes and things so uh you know we we like to try and sort of keep keep that heritage alive where we can no it's a really good name and i would not have blamed you at all if it was a pen name but yeah. oh, had thank to ask. You. oh no <laughs> no absolutely no you're the first person that's ever asked me that actually um and i'm no but it's 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 nice to know i mean i've obviously created a, my brand around that really um and you know last year i registered my name um as a uk trademark because with all the digital marketing and the stuff i'm doing on social media and everything like that it's sort of one of those things that i wanted to try and protect to build upon my brand um and um yeah see, see where it takes me really <laughs> All right. So are you from a farming background or is this a, a newer thing for you? <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm not from a farming background at all. Um, so I grew up in a rural area um, where my parents raised me was very much in a, in a rural community. And all my friends growing up were farmers or farmers' sons or farmers' daughters. Um, but it was actually when I was a teenager I joined the local young farmers club and that's when I found my tribe um being a sort of a country bumpkin uh, going to a town school I did feel quite sort of out of you know I, I didn't gel with a lot of the children from the town I suppose because I had quite a, a yeah a, a, a very uh quaint and uh you know just just shouted upbringing I guess um and so when I went to the town it was kind of completely different uh, so uh, when I joined the young farmers it was very much hey these people kind of get what I'm about and uh, and and are interested in similar things to me and so I started taking part in a lot of the competitions that young farmers clubs organize from stock judging to baking cakes to uh, tug of war and sports competitions and things so um, that's how I sort of got the taste or, or love for wanting to progress within agriculture as a career um, and actually I became the national chairman for the National Federation of Young Farmers um, in 2012 so representing uh, 25,000 young people from across the whole of England and Wales on various issues um, from you know, food provenance to uh, road safety to all, all different sorts of issues affecting young people in the countryside. Um, mental health was a big one as well. And um, that's how I met my husband uh, through the Young Farmers. So when I was the uh, county chairman for Young Farmers in Northamptonshire, he was the county chairman in Leicestershire. And they're neighbouring counties, so um, similar to US states or what have you. And um, he 
yeah the, the rest is history let's say um so you know f- from from a kind of uh, a love perspective that's sort of how I got into agriculture but also from a career perspective for all the things that I learned through young farmers like public speaking and organizing events and things like that that sort of made me want to carve my um career path in food and farming that's a real uh, commitment to the diplomatic relationship to go ahead and marry the <laughs> next the next person <laughs> yeah, <laughs> really no absolutely putting absolutely. an effort in there absolutely um yeah definitely so do you and your husband farm full-time or i know you obviously have your uh digital work but does he work off farm as well or <laughs> yeah so he he farms full-time um so he's um farm a partner with his dad and his uncle but they're over retirement age and then some um and um so he is very much part of the the farming partnership and he's just starting to look for somebody to help him um i've been banging the succession drum for quite some time and um i think it's finally starting to make a bit of an impact uh so hopefully he'll get someone because obviously for the children only being three and five <laughs> although we get them involved in and immerse them in every aspect of farming um they're not quite ready to uh <laughs> they can't to, they to, can't to quit take, school take yet right? the reins. no no exactly so um so he farms full time um and then i run my digital marketing business um as, as a not quite full time because it just fits around school hours, but then I sort of fit that in in the evening and weekends or or whenever sort of fits fits around it really. But actually, um, I started the business two years ago, and I'm the breadwinner in the in the farm in the business relationship in terms of you know my take home and and what he draws from the farm as well. But you know we're not competitive. We're all just sort of putting it into the same pot and building on our small empire. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I actually went on a young farmers exchange. I spent three months in the UK through, uh, well, in Ontario, it was junior farmers, but I I was in the UK Mm. on a young farmers exchange. So I feel like I know a little bit about the the organization that you were obviously involved in for years. Until I was there, I didn't realize that you trained to do um, tug of war. I was in... uh, stayed with a couple of clubs in Scotland and went to their, their training sessions for the tug of war teams. I had no idea that some, that those things could be quite so competitive. Oh yeah. It is. There's a whole association and you can have affiliation and you get your, yeah, it's, it's quite competitive. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, yeah. I always look back on that summer as one of the, the best, best summers of my life for sure. So I, yeah, I, and I still keep in touch with a lot of the families I stayed with. So I've got soft spot in my heart for, uh, for young farmers, for sure. Ah, oh, young farmers has got a lot to answer for. It's very <laughs> yeah. much been at the heart of everything that I'm about and, you know, promoting the next generation and all the different skills and opportunities. I mean, I wouldn't be the person that I am because if, if I hadn't had that involvement with young farmers, I mean, the confidence, the life skills, the friends that you make, I mean, you know, like, like you, I've got friends all over the globe, um, from traveling with young farmers, um, and with social media, it's wonderful to be able to keep in touch with people. And then when you do end up traveling again, you sort of drop them a line and go, Hey, I'm in the country. Can I pop and yeah. see you? And most of the time it's yes. yes exactly. So yeah, yeah. yeah coming it, and... it just yeah. makes yeah it's amazing it's a fantastic network so very much encourage anyone to uh, uh, take a look or get involved and support where yeah, possible for sure 
So you've talked about your work in um, communications, and one of the things I know you work in is ag journalism. So one thing I was wondering about is, especially for farmers who are trying to communicate with people, you know, whether those are customers or people in our communities, what are things that we need to remember when we're communicating and trying to talk to people who maybe don't have an agricultural background? Yeah, it's it's good that you put, picked up on that. I mean, I'm a member of the British Guild of Agricultural Journalists, um, so very much sort of looking at traditional PR and marketing, but also now we're obviously evolving with the digital world with social media as well. Um, and I think as farmers and food producers, it's always thinking of the kind of consumer perspective that they don't know what they don't know. And so, I mean, I suppose I've got a slightly unique take because I'm not from a farming background so when I'm, you know my husband and his father are talking about things I'm a bit like mm. I always remember this 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 analogy and I say it all the time I remember when I first joined Young Farmers and I went to a pub meeting and they said oh we're going drilling and I thought what what's drilling I thought they were going out with a cordless drill I, I, I had no idea what that actually they were going out and cultivating and planting the seeds but to me at the time I had no idea and I think a lot of the time we use a lot of language and terminology that your average person would have no idea what that means. And so I think it's not only visually, you know, on social media, it's fantastic now. You can quickly and easy post a, a photo or a video and just use language that that everyone can understand and just say, you know, I am planting this. I am the reason why I'm doing this is because X and Y and this is why you should care about it. Um, I mean, a lot of what I do is about promoting food provenance and in the UK um, obviously being quite a small island um, we try and promote what we produce here but obviously we have a lot that is imported um, and seasonality is no longer um, a thing really because the retailers the supermarkets are making produce available all year round and I think only now starting to uh, realize the impact that, that has on the environment and uh, the way that food is produced and actually the impact that it has so you know we're shipping things from across the globe and or growing things out of season and things it's actually well, what is what can we grow in this country how is it grown um, and why you know why you should you know consider buying that as opposed to something else and I think that you know one at the moment is is the difference between New Zealand lamb and English lamb you know we <laughs> we're a great country for growing our own lamb we've got a lot of grass um and uh, it doesn't make any sense whatsoever to fly lamb from New Zealand um because actually the farmers are, are very much looking at seasonality and have got different breeds that then lamb at different times of the year so we can supply lamb all year round so it, it's just sort of being proud of what we do and um uh you know encouraging more people to sort of look for the red tractor logo or for the assurance that things have you know been grown locally or to look at supporting local producers as well so you know thinking about farm shops or independent farms that sell straight from the gate and all of these things because the high street here is is very much dying you know everyone's going out to out of town retail parks and things like that and and actually people are forgetting what real food looks like because it's so ultra processed and so a lot of what I do um, with my um, food blog, my podcast and now my ebook is basically, you know, shining a light on producers around the UK 
about what they're producing um, <clears throat> and how you can make that into a meal. And I know we are all busy and I mean, it's really hard. You've probably got farmers listening and think, I haven't got time to like tell everyone what I'm doing. Uh, there are obviously farming organisations that kind of are doing that anyway, um, which, are, which are fantastic. But it, it's all, you know, anything is better than nothing. And even, you know, I was going to a Pilates class the other day and they were saying, oh gosh, there's no eggs in the supermarket. And I was like, well, that's because there's avian influenza in this country at the moment. Um <clears throat> But that's not the reason why there's no eggs in the supermarket is because the supermarkets are not paying the farmers um, the cost of production or more. So they're unable to fulfill those contracts and they're not going to produce eggs at a loss all the time. They've sort of they've taken the stand and they've had enough. Um, and they were like, oh, we just thought, oh, it's because of avian influenza that there's no eggs. And I was like, no, we've all got eggs. And they now a couple of the ladies on, in my class are now buying eggs from me direct because I have, oh, I should, should have said that before. I also have 25 hens that um, we we sell eggs at the gate, um, again, to our neighbours. Um, and, and people appreciate the freshness of those eggs. I mean, a lot of the time, the eggs that are in the supermarket could have been sort of sat around in warehousing for anything up to a month or what have you. So the difference in terms of when you crack an egg open, you can clearly see um how bright a, a fresh egg is um and and it's just things like that. it's reminding people that you know if you're buying direct from somebody um you're not only supporting them but you're probably also supporting their local community you're helping to support their family you're helping to um build the fabric of local community and one thing that i always say is that it helps with things like tourism keeping people in jobs locally as well and keeping all the amenities open because if people cannot find work in the area in which they live then obviously they move away and then that area becomes pretty isolated and nobody you know and dead really so there's a whole host of reasons i think why you know it's well i feel it's sort of part of my duty um to to do that i sort of feel empowered to do that because i enjoy growing food and talking about the journey from how it's gone from the field or, you know, from the farm to the supermarket shelves or, or to uh, <clears throat> to your plate and how you can do that in a, in a fun way, especially if you can involve the children too. I know one thing we're seeing here too is that eggs are up to uh, $10 a dozen in a lot of stores, which is between a 300% and a 1,000% increase. Um, you last year you could buy eggs for 99 cents a dozen it you know all day or whatever um so we're seeing more and more farmers that are doing more direct sales but then you have to actually sell the product beyond just taking cash for it you know you have to to let people know what you have and to to market that um and most of us don't have pr departments or advertising departments or whatever just sitting around waiting to do this I think so, this moment, though, is a good reminder to people to say, like, there are impacts that impact farmers, and sometimes you might have to pay a bit more, you know, like, and it's it's all, you know, like, I know there's a notice up in the grocery store that lettuce is more expensive right now because of, you know, weather patterns in California or whatever. Like, I think that we need to acknowledge that, I mean, whether it's local or in the grocery store, there are seasonality, there are animal diseases there are, there are impacts on what food costs and for so long it's just been like this is the price and you know we need to acknowledge the fact that when things cost more 
farmers need to get paid more. And it doesn't always have to trickle down to, oh, well, they just get paid the same amount and the grocery store makes more, or we just, you know, we can't, you know, or the processors are saying we can't afford to pay you more. That's, that's what the contract is kind of thing. Well, it's like, if the price goes up, why do the farmers always have to be the one to take the hit, right? You know, it, when our input costs go up, we should get compensated. I think that's absolutely it. But around here, at least I see people get angry about prices going up, assuming that farmers are getting paid more. Like mm-hmm. we're all, you know, Scrooge McDucking it, swimming around in our bank right. vaults full of gold coins, you know, where I'm like, yeah. we're not actually getting paid more. Um, you know, so wondering, Millie, um, how we can help, what advice we might have for listeners about promoting their businesses online and stepping into this more salesy role that folks might not be as familiar with. Mm. Um, well, as I said before, so- social media, I think, is a free global platform, whether it be Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, whatever you're... I, I'd say pick pick one platform and do it well. Um, I'm across a lot of platforms. I'm just trying to get into TikTok at the moment, but I'm pretty exhausted because I'm sort of bashing, you know, not only with my personal profile, I've got my business profile and then I've got my food blog profile. So I've got a cut, although they all feed into each other, depending on what, what, what I'm doing or what I'm doing with my clients, it's exhausting. So just pick one platform um, because you can reach a lot of people really easy or try and collaborate with an influencer, someone who's already got a, an audience that is sort of tailored to um to your audience whether that be um you know some someone that's got a lot of followers or even if they're in a niche um that they're they're good at what they do in terms of um producing really fun videos and engaging videos um i don't like to sort of um uh, do too much in the way of controversial um posting because i mean although people do get a lot of engagement a lot of hits and what have you you end up uh, with probably a lot more negative um, comments or, you know, you, it's it's not sustainable long term. I think actually if you're creating a narrative around what you're doing um, and posting nice pictures and just being honest about what you're doing. I mean, that's it, it depends what you're comfortable with, because not everyone I know, not everyone's like me in the sense that I'm taking pictures of my children in the garden and on the farm and just sort of saying, hey, this is what we're doing at the moment. Um, the children enjoy doing this and this is why we're doing what we're doing. Um but even if, you know, just, just sort of talking about the different um, things you're doing in a, in a year, uh, I think anything um, is, is kind of your shop window in this day and age. And I think long gone at a time where you just produce beef cattle just because, you know, you, although you're, you're doing it to make money, I think it's now being concerned about does that carcass it does it is it fit for purpose for the abattoir for whoever is your end customer does it what's the eating quality are you getting consistency and things like that i think and again with 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 fresh produce as well um you know it is kind of looking at um what are you producing and how can you improve that and make it better um and building that rapport um with your customers and if you've got if you're marketing for your own brand for example you're going to be doing that so much more because you're wanting to get repeat customers um you're wanting um people to follow you and if you then launch a new flavor or a new new whatever it is you you need to invest that time in 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 getting people behind you so that they know what the backstory is they know um everything about you know why you um decided to grow this plant this do do whatever 
I think um, have, having that clarity in your brand is is what makes a lot of brands successful. I think when they when it, you know there's just a, a, a nothing behind you know for for business or brands that sort of you scratch below the surface. I don't think they the longevity isn't there. Um, it's um, it yeah it. I think if you if you want to have integrity in your business and want people to sort of buy into what you're doing, um, creating that narrative surrounding your business or getting someone like me um, <laughs> who helps other people. I mean, one of the things I'm looking to develop is a, is a digital marketing membership to help small businesses that perhaps don't have the time to really invest in, in their digital marketing, but actually they need a few helping hands because I think... There's so much to go at within social media. And if I sort of pick Instagram as a platform, for example, you know, you've got your Instagram lives, you've got your reels, you've got your um, stories, you've got your actual posting. And then there's sort of, you know, messaging people in DMs. There's there's a lot just in one platform. Um, and then it's changing all the time. There's so many updates and, and, and various things. You're a bit like, oh gosh, you know, I don't know where I'm coming or going. And if it doesn't become naturally to you, you know, sort of... Um, been doing this long enough now to kind of feel like I'm a um you know a, a well um experienced voice in terms of knowing you know what you should do how to position yourself finding your voice using the correct hashtags and editing your photos and videos um so that they are um they get the right impact and then positioning yourself as well so there's a lot that goes on behind the scenes really I think and it's not something although I'm saying oh yeah just put, post something Yes, it's good to post, but actually it's having a bit of a strategy behind it as well as why am I doing what I'm doing? Because otherwise it can feel quite overwhelming. Yeah, sometimes the trying to spread yourself too thin across too many platforms, you end up feeling like you're not making any progress. And especially if it's a if it's a, a local product, you know, how do you actually get it to the people who might buy from you and not just everybody in the world right <laughs> when you have access to the world on social media but maybe you only need the people who live close enough to buy eggs right yeah yeah exactly exactly um so one of the other things that you're doing because clearly you are a busy parent is called uh no fuss meals for busy parents so it's both a blog and you have a new cookbook so that's geared to people like us clearly who are busy and don't have a lot of time to make a meal but are trying to also make meals that everybody actually wants to eat which sometimes feels impossible when you've got ki kids and <laughs> partners with lots of uh, different likes and dislikes. Um, so could you share a couple of your favorite meals or some of the food hacks that uh, that you have or that you sometimes share on your blog or give us some give us some yeah, help? Absolutely. We need it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, the blog came about um, during the height of the pandemic because, again, we couldn't go anywhere, couldn't do anything. And I was obviously out in the garden with the children growing and I was posting on social media and a lot of my sort of non-farming friends were like oh I didn't realize that grow, grew in the UK or oh you've really inspired me to get cooking baking with the children and things so I just started posting a few recipes um and then it sort of grew from there really and uh, and then I created the podcast which I know we'll talk about in a, in a little while um and then from from that I've sort of Put everything together in an e-cookery book so um but a couple of the recipes um uh, yeah no first meals means basically throw it in a pan hope for the best i'm a home cook i'm not a chef it's something that i've learned um and um i just like good honest food um so one thing um 
so a butternut squash soup, um, which is quite a nice winter warmer. Um, so growing a butternut squash in the garden, and then, um, or you can buy, if you can't grow it yourself, um, you can buy it sort of frozen, chopped up, ready, which is amazing. Um, but I often chop it up and freeze it and then use it when I really need it. Um, <clears throat> so fry, um, roast that in the oven um, with some sea salt and some chili flakes. And then um, once it's sort of nice and roasted, um, put it in a pan, whiz it up with some cream and some chicken stock. And I often throw in a little bit of chorizo as well, um, if you're a meat lover, um, and um, serve that with some bread. That's quite nice. Pasta is a big one in our household. And again, I use a lot, I do a lot with sausages because I make my own pork sausages. Um, and um, so cook the sausages when they're cold, chop them up and then fry a leek and um, uh, some pasta, make some either penne or spaghetti um, and um, some frozen peas as well. So you've got a couple of vegetable portions in there and then put some creamy cheese or something through it. So it's just sort of throw it all together. Um, you can put uh, some spinach or something with it if you like. Um, the one that, um, I don't know, do you, do you get haggis over your side of the pond? Um um, we can. Yeah. Uh, it wouldn't be like regularly available, but yeah, like like maybe around New Year's or like Robbie Burns Day, you might be able to to find it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In Canada, yeah. anyway. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um. So I did a competition about a year ago where it was a burger, a burger off they called it, and um, not to be mistaken with the swear word. Um. <laughs> um. But uh, um, I I want to do uh, one of my life mottos is dare to be different. Um, and everything I do has to be, I don't follow the crowd. I like to do things slightly differently. And I thought, well, what can I do that's different, but true to my roots? And obviously, you know, nod to the, to my, you know, Scottish family roots and everything. So I thought, oh, I'll try, try, um, Haggisburger. So I made me in Haggisburger basically with combining a haggis and, um, beef mints and then topping that with some onions, some mozzarella cheese, a bit of uh, a whiskey sauce, and um out of what was it there's 35 or 40 of us i came in the top 10 so i was quite pleased with that um uh, so it was sort of a spin on haggis neeps and tatties so i made some potato wedges and then i did a side with the the swedes and, and the neeps to make a, a bit of a dip for for the wedges so that was quite nice but i mean <clears throat> since i first started um my repertoire has sort of grown a little bit and so now i do a bit of a star rating because before when on children were really young it literally was chuck it in a pan hope for the best whereas now um not only have i got, i wouldn't say i've got more time i suppose i've got the ability or i've got the 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 desire i suppose because i'm doing a lot more blogging i'm getting a lot more creative and i'm working with a few food brands and things so i kind of need to get a bit more creative but equally um about six months ago i um discovered i got a gluten intolerance and so that sort of threw a whole different kind of dynamical perspective on the way that i cook because a lot of the gluten-free products i don't know about you over where you are but here they're they're okay but some of them are a bit cardboardy and so that really um has forced me to look at making my own pastry and thinking about bread and 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 that side of things so um that takes a little bit more time and commitment that isn't quite so no fuss but actually it's kind of a means to an end and and actually now I'm starting to build up a bit of a gluten-free following as well um of those that are kind of looking at alternative um to to those with grain in the diet so um 
yeah it's um yeah there's there's it's always evolving mm-hmm. let's say i know there there are some gluten-free products but a lot of them and i'm sure it's the same where you are are smaller packages and more expensive and yeah so it's it's not just that the taste Definitely. isn't as good but it doesn't doesn't go as far either if you're trying to you know cook on a bit of a budget so millie for our american listeners can you explain what a haggis is I happen to know, but I don't um, want anyone to miss out on this delightful well, culinary uh, tradition. Yeah, exactly. There is a few jokes about, oh, you go out into the bush and you shoot one. But... <laughs> I'm picturing one blobbing around. Yeah, yeah, exactly. This, yeah, yeah, this sort of little hairy sort of mythical creature and what have you. Um, but actually, no, I mean, it, it's it's generally... Um, uh, offal, lamb, lamb offal. Um, um, it sounds pretty gross. I really feel it's like the, we should come up the with the word and... other than awful for yeah. <laughs> the the organs because it does sound awful, to be honest. Anyway. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah there you go. Low-hanging Yeah, fruit. exactly. But, it, but it's, um, I mean, it, it's it's got a lot of um, herbs and, um, and spices to make it even, it, it's a really, really tasty dish, but it, it, it's something that you sort of heat up um, and serve with generally uh, mashed potato and um, and swede and, and gravy. And it's something that you have generally around Burns Night um, in, in, in January, but actually in the UK, you can generally buy it all year round. There's a couple of um, decent Scottish companies that produce um, different varieties. And now I'm just trying to get hold of McSween's gluten-free haggis um, because, again, it's uh, it's got various um, binding a- agents in it that obviously mean I can't eat it so um yeah but it's 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 really my children really love it actually I mean it, again it it doesn't look a lot when you put it on a plate as well it doesn't look the most appetizing I'm not really selling it here but actually it's one of those things that you can yeah it, it, it the, the proof in the puddings in the eating let's say and actually when we got married um our starters or our canapes were little um haggis mozzarella cheese and cranberry phyllo parcels um and they were yeah super tasty um yeah really nice i guess when you come down to it it shouldn't be that surprising that your kids like haggis because i mean my kids eat hot dogs and chicken nuggets and when you really get down to it they're basically the same thing (laughs) haggis is a little bit more flavor (laughs) yeah but sometimes kids don't like flavor right uh so you also got um royal endorsement how did that come to be yeah so um when i decided that i wanted to produce a book so i've started off with an ebook um which pulling together all the recipes from the food blog but also the podcast so i have a podcast called the countryside kitchen meats and i mean that that sort of came about because i was interviewing farmers for the food blog with a meet the producer piece and you know what it's like you start talking to someone you realize i haven't got enough uh, characters on a social media post to kind of write everything about them um and they're just so interesting um so within the podcast as well we talk about recipe ideas and things so i wanted to kind of bring everything together in a in a product that i could kind of market um in a way in a, in a new format really so that different people I could reach out to um to in- inspire them to cook from scratch or at least have a better awareness of whether where 
food comes from and how it's produced. And so I, over the years, I've worked for various charities. Um, before before I obviously launched my business, I was, I mentioned before, I was um, chief executive of the Shorthorn Society and Princess Anne is the patron of that organisation. Uh, prior to that, I was working for a royal farming charity. Prior to that, I was working for an international development charity and Princess Anne was the patron of that. And with one of my clients, which is a, an awards charity based in the UK that that um, gives awards to the elite uh, farming leaders who have go, gone over and above the call of duty, really, in terms of um, work with charity, work with education, work with um, research and development. Um, and so she, Princess Anne is a patron of that. And I organised an awards ceremony last year in the House of Lords, the House of Parliament, and as patron of the charity, I was asked to submit a bid to her um, to come along and I was successful and she came along and she gave out all the awards and then spoke afterwards. So because I've obviously built up a rapport with her team, her, her private secretary and her team, um, and they've kind of over the years got, got a bit of a feel for who I am and that I'm a doer, I'm a grafter and um, I you know, making real headway in terms of, you know, reaching out to a wider audience. And they sort of said to me, oh, if there's ever anything, you know, that we can help you with, just ask. And I was a bit like, well, hey, this is, I'm, I've got this food blog, No First Meals of Easy Parents. I've got this podcast, The Countryside Kitchen Meets. I'm bringing together them in, in a digital product. Is it something that you think Princess Royal would write a foreword for? And they went away. And a couple of months later, I got an email with a forward basically endorsing the book and you know princess anne in her own right is a farmer and whenever i meet i've had had the privilege of meeting her probably probably 15 times now i've met her quite quite a few times and um she has her own gloucester osvalt pigs which is the same breed of pigs that i have and so that's sort of generally where we always start our conversations um from and so i thought it's a very good fit to have her. And I mean, to have Royal endorsement is out of this world, really. Um, and, and, and so, you know, that, that forward is there in the book, basically supporting the projects and encouraging people to cook from scratch and share meals with their families and friends. So, yeah, it's, um, yeah, I was yeah. delighted. Well, I cried. Oh, I bet. Cried when I got it's, that letter. it's neat to see yeah. how you know, you never know how the, the steps along your life are going to gonna connect. But obviously all those, you know, those other things that you have done over the years that that's that's made mm. made connections and doesn't doesn't hurt to have the same kind yeah. of pigs. You've got something to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So that was nice. So does that mean it gets that little like crown symbol on it somewhere? Or like does she, um, have, she would have so it, like a seal uh, or a special... Uh, yeah. yeah so um i've got so i've actually printed the actual so the letter is on um headed paper from buckingham nice. palace um so and then so i've actually used the actual letter that she's hand signed and everything so um yeah so whenever i've done any pr surrounding it, obviously i talk around that and then obviously it's included in the book so that if when people purchase it they've obviously got their own copy and can see it and read it as well Very so, cool. yeah so it's pretty cool so who do you talk to for your podcast? Who's your uh, average guest? Um, so I, 
speak to various um, food and farming producers. Generally, they are people that I know or know of. So I reach out through my Young Farmers Network. Um, I, I mean, I started off, you know, with a handful of people I knew. And now that the podcast has grown and grown, I've now got minor celebrities on board. I had a, um, a gold medal Olympian um, who got her honours from the Queen last year actually um so she was a really interesting um character to interview and that came about where I was at an award ceremony and I sat next to her um and uh, I thought oh that might be an interesting take you know a, a, what does a sportswoman's diet entail um you know what what's important to her because a lot of the time we you know again we're encouraging people to drink lots of milk and it being a good recovery drink and things like that so it was kind of like you know when they're in the training re- regimes and things, you know, what 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 forms a good sportswoman's diet? So that was quite an interesting sort of angle to go down. But generally it's, you know, beef farmers, sheep farmers, dairy farmers. Um, I've recently done an interview with British Sugar. Um, a lot of people aren't aware that sugar is grown in the UK and I wanted to kind of, you know, shine a light on the UK sugar, sugar production. So I actually had a bit of an inside the factory tour around um one of the largest sugar beet factories in the uk so that was quite an interesting um visit and then i was able to interview the head of agriculture for for the uk um british sugar um about how how sugar goes from the beet in the ground to actually a bag of sugar and all the other byproducts as well because again it's quite a sustainable product and it's uh, i think a lot of these things are sort of overlooked we might be producing one thing but there are other products that come as a result of that um and uh, another one i've uh, interviewed um a gentleman called chris bavin who is on the bbc he's um on a lot of tv cookery consumer type programs so you know, I'm starting to get um, noticed, you know, by other people that are, you know, make, uh, are in the public eye that are commentating on food and farming. So that, that's been quite an interesting um, angle. But generally, it's people that are at the heart of their business that are the grafters, the ones that are doing the work um, and getting their product to market. So looking at their backstory, if they've if they were born into agriculture or how their how their farmers diversified and what products or, or produce they're producing now, how they got that to market and then where people can buy that and where they can follow them as well. So it's quite a, you know, a bit of a magazine type show, but obviously very much rooted within agriculture. We love talking to farmers too, obviously. So yeah. one of the reasons or the main reason that we started our podcast was because of the the isolation that is often part of the experience of becoming a parent and how sometimes, especially in rural areas or agricultural areas, that can feel even more isolating maybe than in other places. Um, I know your kids aren't all that old, but what was your experience like in the, the early months, you know, like going from mm-hmm. no kids to, to having kids? What was that transition like for you? bloody tough <laughs> yeah <laughs> sounds right um, yeah 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 um well I've, it's funny you should ask me that and um I'm sort of getting a bit emotional thinking about it actually because um I had quite a traumatic time with both of my children the first was a, um, born by um emergency c-section and then um my second child was only 15 months um on from that so I had two 
and he was a planned C-section because he was a big baby. And after having the first and having them close together, it just wasn't an option to go for a natural delivery. Um, and I'm actually still recovering now, five years on um, from, from those surgery. I'm still having a lot of treatment because of the, um, the trauma that it had to my body. Um, but equally, my second son, Dougie, had a very bad case of silent reflux. And so from birth, I had to carry him. I had to strap him to me. I couldn't lay him down. So I had a 15-month toddler and a newborn who wouldn't sleep, wouldn't... I just couldn't do anything with. So I was basically in survival mode. And I was obviously trying to recover from major surgery as well. And it was pretty shit. Um, And it was very lonely and isolating. So I completely get it. And in fact, I've done quite a lot of uh, campaigning on mental health awareness and isolation in the countryside. And... The one, you know, part part of how my business has become, uh, has evolved is because I'm quite a creative person and I, you know, I'm, my mind is always on the go and I always, you know, I want, I want to make a difference. I'm always, you know, I, I, I don't like to sit still and although I've, you know, spent like, like us all is spending a lot of time and energy, obviously raising our children, um, I wanted to that that sort of desire to help others and make a difference sort of continues and i set up a a women um women's um platform a digital platform where they could sort of air their um troubles and what have you in a, in a safe environment because at the time i felt like i was on my own um, and this was before the pandemic um and um actually during the pandemic I didn't feel so lonely because everyone was working from home and walking around the village and they were around a lot more um it's gone back to almost being like everyone's bogged off back to work and done that now but obviously I'm in a different stage in my life now and the children are at school and I've got a different sort of network of friends and what have you but I think until you start talking about your situation you don't necessarily realize you do feel like you're on your own and actually when you get talking to somebody you realize oh um they've gone through that or they've appreciated that or you know and it it doesn't have to be as hard but I think at the time you know when you're you're really struggling um to care for two young children I mean husband just sort of wake up in the morning and out the door and in the yard and although he's around you know he's not there and um his 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 family they just get up and farm as well so although you know I always remember the day we got married and his family said to me oh welcome to the family I've never felt so lonely in all my life and I sort of think well you know it, it's it it's it it has been really tough and I'm still going through certain challenges with all of that now and that's sort of embedded with succession planning and you know um all of that and I, there's only certain challenges that you can you know battles that you can pick isn't there so I kind of feel like well I'll put all my energy into raising the children and then into my business um and I'll support Andrew where I can but actually um my my help around the farm with my in-laws it isn't particularly welcome so um so there's all those kind of emotions and uh, uh thoughts and feelings that surrounds motherhood um but I I, I now feel like I've I've I, you know I'm feeling a lot better and obviously the kids are absolutely fantastic um they're too oh they're so full-on um but they're lovely they're absolutely lovely and they're a real you know they're a joy to be around and you know the youngest has just started um primary school and the youngest will go start later on this year so there's only one school year apart between them so um yeah they're 
really fun to be around and um you know i think now that my health is improving um <clears throat> i've still got a little way to go in terms of you know being fighting fit as it were um but uh yeah it's it's tough isn't yeah. it yeah and i think we don't talk i mean it's it's hard to talk about i mean we personal stuff right you know but when it comes to birth injuries or you know recovering from c-sections it's it's just like oh well you know everybody has babies so you just carry on but it's like there are so Mm. many women who suffer for years after having babies Mm. it's it's not a small thing it's it's a traumatic process Mm. you know like and and Mm. you know so many of us are embarrassed to talk about it or or you know don't feel like you can share it or or you don't want to talk about someone who's about to become a mom because you're like, oh, well, it might not happen to them. I don't want to scare them. But then if it does happen to them, then they're in this, like, am I the only one? <laughs> you know, because no one told me it could be like this. Millie, it sounds like you and I had incredibly similar um, experiences as well. Our kids are 16 months apart and two C-sections. The one difference being that the first C-section was scheduled. And I think we really shortchange women on what a difference it makes if that C-section is scheduled or not. Because when you have an emergency Mm. C-section, you're basically giving birth twice. You know, if you've been in labor and, Mm. you know, a lot of these women have been in labor for 24 or 36 hours or whatever, and are going into this major surgery with no physical preparation, no emotional preparation. You know, I had three and a half months to come to terms with it because my kid was full breech and big and would not turn. Mm. Um, But this determination of failure almost that we put on women, that if you have a C-section, it's because, well, you tried, you know, and then people give you this Mm. look like, well, well, as long as you breastfed, you know, and then if that doesn't Mm. work, then it's, well, as long as you didn't X, Y, and Z, and, you know, eventually you're just checking these things off. Like, I am a complete failure. Please just take my children. Um, Mm. You Mm. know, and so for me, that's been the biggest reason of doing the show is, yes, the, the physical damage that we do to women by, especially with C-sections, you know, assuming that it's totally cool to just let them figure it out, you know, and especially if you've got Mm. one at home already and then you send them home with another newborn, you know, three days after literally taking internal organs out and digging around in there, you know, Mm -hmm. and then, you know, with, for myself being medicated for postpartum depression, it was then, I don't know what, partum depression, because I went straight from Mm. postpartum to a second pregnancy in a very short time. Um, the pressure we put on people to do what's best for the baby with zero regard as to what is reasonable, let alone best for the mother and Mm. how important it is to, to speak out about how messed up that is, that it's, Mm. you know, we put so much pressure on women to just be fine with everything. And Mm. as long as the baby's okay, (laughs) cool you know I have ceased to be a person so and I know for myself at least I mean I I love my in-laws and we have a great relationship but it feels very much like well I have value because I produced heirs for the farm and I have value because I bring in money and I have value as long as I keep my mouth shut other than that 
and it is very, I know it is not intentional on their part, and I'm sure they would be very hurt to feel that I even subconsciously feel that way because I think they've made it an effort not to, but it's still very much, you know, your role changes a lot in the family when you pop out a couple kids. And if you're also bringing home even a, a large percentage of the family income, it um, definitely changes the dynamics in the, mm. in the whole family situation. So mm. I get you. There, mm. Our kids are just yeah. six and almost five, so we are very much in the same place in life. And it is a in lot. The same group, yeah. <laughs> it is a yeah. lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I always remember um, getting my maternity notes and um, they put failure to progress because I was fully dilated and Angus, my first, was um, basically got stuck in my pelvis as I was trying to deliver him. And um, to, 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 to read that in my notes, I was a bit like, well, I you know, I, I wasn't like, I, I totally get what what you're saying you, you're not mentally prepared for it I was never you know I did all the hypnobirthing and I did really well I got you know I, I did all of that and then he got stuck and so he had to come out the the sunroof as it were and I always remember my mum saying to me oh I knew you'd have problems just as if like oh oh she couldn't do it now you know oh. and I, I just thought that's such a horrible it's always stuck with me um and uh, the major abdominal surgery that you that you go through and then you know you don't get any help and support and advice afterwards they just stitch you up and then here's a leaflet to read and off you go well I've just been referred so I'm having acupuncture I'm now going to Pilates classes to help build up my core um again because I don't you know you don't realize that you've lost all that ability that intern because obviously they slice through every kind of internal wall of your abdomen um to to lose all that strength um and then I've just been referred to a scar um, therapist because the well, I've also been seeing a um, like a, a physiotherapist for that specialises in pelvic health and everything. And she felt my scar the other day, and she said, "I've in my sort of fifteen years of me doing this job, I've never felt such a thick band and how so I, I live in chronic pain daily, and I have done since I had the children, and I have terrible sciatic nerve." pain and then I have this pain in my lower abdomen just under the scar and because of the pandemic all my appointments you know uh, were delayed and and then you know you don't really know what's wrong with you and then you have every test under the sun and like then oh no it's not that it's not that and you think well it's not in my head this pain it's there it's real and it's only now sort of five years on that I'm finally finding my you know the people within the health service that actually can pinpoint what is the problem and are actually actively helping me. And that's not only helping with my mental health, but also my physical health as well. And I kind of feel like, but also it's ha having the energy to be able to deal with all of this because it's just so draining all the time. And um, you sort of think, you, you never make your own health a priority, do you, when you're a mother? Um, and then when you've got all of these other things going on as well, it's, um, yeah, it, it's bloody tough as I said to start off <laughs> and I you know I, I'm I, I'm I'm delighted that this podcast has brought us together Kate because I you know it's very rare to find another farmer's wife as well that I mean you know the more you speak about it the more you realize that actually you know there's a lot of us that have been through it but we don't necessarily talk about it or know about it we just bottle it all up and we just carry on because that's what kind of 
society has taught us to do. I'm um, I'm really sorry, Millie, that they put that in your chart because what bullshit? Put it in your kid's chart. Mm. Failure to get the fuck out. Mm. I'm sorry, but mm. you know mm. you did not like shrink your pelvis down to trap him in there. He wouldn't come mm. out. I this just gets mm. me when people say stuff like this and. I had people say to me, you know, well, we never used to have C-sections like this. They just schedule them now because it's more convenient for the doctor. Like, you know what the death rate in pregnancy used to be like? I mean, it's still hideously high. But, you know, I would not have survived my first pregnancy without a C-section. My baby would not have survived. And, you know, to then turn around and have a very close family member tell me that I did not actually give birth. Because she came out the zipper. Like, the kid was in, the kid is out. Birth was given. You know, this this judgmental bullshit about doing it the right way. Because, yeah, we went to the Lamaze classes and I did hypnobirthing and I did all the, you know, reading about breastfeeding and attachment parenting and this and this and this. And then none of it worked. And having that pressure put on me that I had failed because none of this worked instead of saying, isn't it great that we have science and other opportunities and nobody died? Like, yeah. Oh, hot button topic right there. Yeah. <laughs> Tell you how I feel about that. Yeah. 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 No, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So what is your favorite part of raising kids on the farm now that they've gotten the hell out? And you've you've evicted them. What's the what's the best part of it? I think it's like whenever there's any new life on the farm. So when we're lambing and we've got baby animals everywhere, and it's just, I suppose it's kind of watching their young minds, kind of those you know those light bulb moments where they're like, oh, you know, they're feeding a lamb or even like the other day when we're in the butchers and I said appointed an accountant and I said what what's that come from and then they were like oh that's beef it's come from a cow and I was like oh you know it, it's just it, it's it's just so rewarding um to give them the upbringing of uh being a little bit feral as well they you know a little bit wild child they a little dirt never hurt um it has it, that you know having two boys on the farm has brought its challenges as well um you know, they are quite boisterous. And I, again, because of my health and because of them being quite lively, I've sort of been very careful about where I've taken them. I don't go to soft play or, you know, any of those things because it always ends up with me having to apologise to other parents because my two have climbed on theirs or, you know, whereas mine are just quite robust and, you know, they're quite confident. Um, You know, they're not They'll go around with the yard broom sweeping up and if a cow kind of comes to sniff at them, they'd probably bump them over the head with the end of the broom or something because they know that they can do that. Whereas, um, you know, when they have some some of their mates over, um, they'll, you know, we grow carrots in the ground, for example, and they know that they can go down the bottom of the garden and pull up some carrots, wash it under the garden tap and eat it. And they look on amazement of their friends that are like, wow, you know, you can just do that, you know? And and so again, those sorts of things, it's it's really nice to obviously invite their friends over and allow them to have that opportunity to immerse themselves in, in, in farm life as well. Um, but yeah, just having the opportunity to be outside in the fresh air, in, you know, 
and and being caretakers for the land it's it's a, a huge privilege um and one that i keep saying to the kids you don't realize how lucky you are um but you know i i think you know they they just enjoy putting their wellies on and getting out and having fun it feels like the same way that they have adult swim at the pool you know when they kick all the kids out mm-hmm. they should have something similar for those of us with the more uh, feral children where it would just mm-hmm. be like enter at your own risk hour at soft play or restaurants <laughs> or whatever because i also have children who um are low on the self-preservation end of things and very high on the uh experiential learning shall we say so yeah it's a good I, way I of putting it not taking them anywhere <laughs> for the safety of others <laughs> oh, i'm glad i'm not my well no, again now because we're you know school and you know we're, we're sort of forming relationships with the parents that also have challenging children as well so we kind of you know we all hang around together and then um you know oh, yeah there's there's a bit i don't know if you call if you call it the same thing over in the US and over the pond, but um, a bit of a woke society where, you know, or a snowflake culture. Um, and, uh, you know, I have to tiptoe around a lot of parents and things. And, you know, if, it, you know, they push one another over and then we have to go and apologise. You know, and it's, it's kind of, yes, my children have good manners, but they equally are young children and it's what kids do. And, um, but, uh, yeah, there's, there are a, a kind of, some some parents that very much wrap them up in cotton wool and they're their little darlings and you know they couldn't possibly um be pushed over on a bouncy castle or something and um you know it's oh yeah yeah i i have to have a lot of energy to take them to a children's party um because um it's probably my worst nightmare although they absolutely love it but it's one of the things i absolutely hate absolutely hate with a passion i just I don't find it fun at all. I don't. I, I don't know if there will become a time where I do start to enjoy kids' parties. Probably, maybe when I can drop them off and leave them there, and I can go. <laughs> so I don't know yeah. what's happening. I'm at that stage. So that, yeah, that that is much better. Yeah. So I mean, if they if they they do yeah. something wrong, then you're just dropping off one too, usually, right? Um, so then, mm. yeah, you've you. The, sometimes it's that sibling dynamic too, right? Where they're they're so mm. used to, you know what they can get away with it with each other <laughs> that they're maybe not as aware yeah. of yeah oh, oh, so i can't do the same thing to my friend so competitive. i will say that one of yeah. my biggest joys at this point is making friends with parents who have children like mine so that we can get together and just let them run wild with an expectation that probably something will get broken and nobody will be angry about it and that they can just beat the hell out of each other and nobody's going to be mad that one kid beat up another kid because they probably had it coming, you know. So <laughs> it's you just got to find your people at that point, I think. Yeah, because yeah, definitely. Yeah. I've definitely found mine now, thank, thank, thankfully. Yes, and, and, then, and that we're now at the age where that we can entrust our husbands with doing bedtime and we can all go around one of the girls' houses and have a glass of something and all have a good moan about <laughs> one thing or another. So yeah, yeah, it's nice. It's nice that we that's, kind of yeah, that's stage a good stage now. to be at too. So that we've kind mm. of covered some of it, but what do you find is the most challenging aspect of parents parenting? Um, and it can be related to the farm or not at all. But uh, what what are some of the other struggles these days? 
Um, I think, especially when you're on a farm, is the safety on the farm. There are so many risks and yeah. hazards um, when bringing up the kids on the farm. They don't necessarily see the risks and dangers from, you know, anything from moving machinery to, you know, they want to go and jump and play on the bales, but, you know, jumping from heights and grain stores and chemicals and animals and all of that sort of stuff. They they don't see it. Um, and, I mean, we just had our yard reconcreted um, just before Christmas. And so now they absolutely love whizzing around on their bikes, um, which is really nice because they're in an area where I can see them and, you know, they've got their little helmets and things like that. Um, but I know that, it's again, it's only a finite amount of time before they want to go further. They want to go, you know, up the lane or, you know, somewhere where I can't see them. Um and I think because they are fearless, it's kind of all those risks and dangers and hazards that are around them by bringing them up on the farm. I mean, yes, they get to know what they can and can't do or where they could go. It's similar, like, you know, we have a an arga, you know, a, in in a kitchen and it's very hot to touch. But, you know, from a young age, you tell them, no, don't touch that. And they know not to touch it. And, it, you know, it, it's bringing it's, it's making them aware of the, the do's and don'ts around the farm, isn't it? But um they ultimately do push the boundaries or they get carried away or, you know, and it's kind of, yeah, it's not like you've got a small enclosed garden and you know that they're going to be on the swings and slide and that's where they're going to be. You know, they can get into all sorts of trouble. Um, that it does, it does worry me quite a lot. Um, and, you know, doing a lot of work with the Farm Safety Foundation here in the UK um, and knowing, you know, I, I've got friends that have had very serious injuries um, because of operating machinery or, or doing things that they shouldn't have been doing. Um, it always plays on my mind. And I know it's kind of, oh, you know, you can't get too complacent because you sort of think, oh, it won't happen to us. Or, oh, when I was a kid, I was always climbing on bales and, you know, going in the grain store and run, running up to the top of the grain pile or, I don't know, just walking behind a horse and not worrying that, it's, you know, when I trusted it, it wasn't going to kick me or whatever, you know, or, or even with, you know, how to train beasts, we do a lot of showing up, well, we used to do a lot of showing cattle before we had children and then, Again, it's that magic word time. Um, we just don't have enough of it. Um, but even, even you know, animals can be so unpredictable. And so I think for me, that's ultimately is one of my biggest challenges. I think being a parent on the farm, and I can see you both nodding yes, your head. Yes, yeah, absolutely. It's, 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 and yeah. I sometimes get frustrated, it's, it's, you know, people are the, oh, well, the, you know, it'll be fine and we all survived. And it's like, well, yes, if, mm -hmm. if you survived, you can say it was fine. But we know that there are mm -hmm. kids that didn't. And there are, you know, mm -hmm. once you know that people have gotten hurt and died in these situations, it's, it's hard to, to pretend that it'll be okay. I mean, I know to a mm -hmm. certain extent we have to, we do have to let go a bit, but yeah, we also have mm. to be honest about the, the risks that are out there, right? Because it's great that our kids are confident around livestock, but they also have to know mm. that cow <laughs> can turn on you. You know, like mm. my husband has had broken mm. ribs from cows. So why should mm. I just be assume that my, my toddler would be okay to just wander in there? You know, like it, it can happen mm. in a second. But yeah, it's also that line of like you want them... You want them to have confidence. You want them to want to be involved. But yeah, figuring out where the line mm. is, is is hard a lot of days. I think Arlene, I struggle a lot with the flip side of that when people say, well, just tell them not to. 
<laughs> you know, because we know that four-year-olds always do what we tell them to. Oh, yeah, for sure. And, and the know, first time. Yes, yes. And we're in a position where if I tell my kid not to do something and then they do it anyway, we're not talking about a dish getting broken. You know, we're talking about them getting run over by a tractor. You know, we're talking about much bigger consequences. And I feel like that's something that we really miss listening to talking to non-farmers about the things that we deal with, too, is that a lot of the consequences of our kids' actions are much more, potentially much bigger than they are if you live in the suburbs. So anyway, uh, that was a fun little side. <laughs> um, so Millie, we ask all of our guests, if you were going to dominate a category at the county fair, what would it be? And categories can be real or made up to ensure that you win. <laughs> at the county fair well i think as a food blogger and podcast you know uh uh i think it would have to be some baking related uh competition i remember um back in my young farmers days i used to win the bread making competition so um i haven't made bread for a little while in fact now i often cheat with a bread maker but um uh everyone keeps saying to me oh you should go do you have the do you watch the Great British Bake Off? Do you get the Great British? Yeah, yeah. So everyone's like, Millie, you need to apply. You need to go on it. You need to. I'm like, yeah, but uh, the amount of time and you know, people were like, you have to take months off work to do all of that and stuff. But and it's but all the fancy I do, stuff I do, too, right? <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Not just not just taste like, good, oh, but also look really good. That's a whole yeah, yeah. Thing. The presentation side, yeah, exactly. And now with the gluten intolerance as well, I'm like, oh god. But anyway, yeah, um, the, that would, I would dominate definitely the cookery, um, or yeah, that would that would be me um, over and over. Although I do get so competitive, I suppose, I, I said to my husband the other day as well. When I'm growing old, I really want to do the uh, giant vegetable growing competitions. The you know I love growing veg, but I again I just chuck it in and hope for the best. There's not much you know I don't tend you know I don't sort of worry about it too much. I just hope for the best really um but i quite i follow a few people on social media that grow like these massive parsnips or these massive pumpkins and things like that and i think oh that would be brilliant to do one day because you know again it takes a lot of commitment you know there's all the little sort of hacks and tricks of the trades and things like that 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 you can to get these giant vegetables and things so again i sort of think in years to come maybe that will be my where i'm going to rock the uh that will dominate the county fair, that's for sure. Arlene, I'm thinking we should come up with some way to do like a great farmer cook-off show that would just be challenges like, you know, you have 25 minutes to cook what you can find on the top shelf of your refrigerator with a sick baby and a four-year-old who can't find what they want on YouTube. Yeah, and you, you know. have to take it out to a tractor because they want yes. it in the field, yeah. Yes, yeah, exactly. Or, you know... You have to come up with something for a potluck that looks like you normally cook like a grown adult and aren't just microwaving chicken nuggets every night. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I feel like we could really get somewhere with something like that. Yes, there would definitely be uh, lots of creative entries, I'm sure. So I'm going to go ahead and move us into our cussing and discussing segment. We've registered for an online platform called SpeakPipe where listeners can leave their cussing and discussing entries for us and we will play them on the show. So go to speakpipe.com backslash barnyard language and, we'll leave, and leave us a voice memo or check in the show notes. You can follow the link there or you can always send us an email at barnyardlanguage at gmail.com and we will read it out for you. Katie, are you cussing, discussing, both? 
What have you got for us this week? Bills. I don't mind paying them. I am thankfully at a point now where we have the money to pay the damn things. But why do they come just randomly? And they just... I got a very rude voicemail from a medical company on December 30th for a bill that was apparently sent December 15th that I received on January 7th, despite the fact that it was due on January 5th. And Arlene knows, because I sent her screenshots, I owe them $7.73. I'll, I'll give them the damn $7.73, but how does this make sense? Yeah, yeah. And they arrive at any time, yeah, any time of day, any day of the week, and all the due dates are different. They're all different. And if you have things like, you know, we have here an HSA card, so we have pre-tax money to pay for medical things, and we have this benefits card to pay for this for work, and this to pay for this, and... Why? And Just then, why? And then you get your digital bills, so you have to remember oh, that they came in. Uh-huh. Those ones are the ones that always do me in because it's like, oh, I'll remember to pay that. But then it just sits in my email, like the 500 other emails that are in there. And then it's like, did I pay my credit card? I can't remember. And maybe town people don't have this issue. I feel like maybe other people's utility bills don't swing the way farm utility bills do. But, you know, they say, well, put it on auto pay, but cool. And, you know, in the summer, our propane bill is $200 for like five months. And then in the winter, it's $600 every like three and a half weeks. And like, cool, I'll put it on auto pay and I'll just never know what's happening. That yeah. that will not be stressful at all. Yeah, no problem. Ugh. Anyway, I feel like adulthood is a big lie compared to what we tell kids it'll be like. Yeah, don't grow up, kids. It's not worth it. No, don't do it. (laughs) (laughs) Millie, what do you have to cuss and discuss? Well, I I feel your pain um, when it comes to bills and emails and the overwhelm of life admin. Um, But I've actually uh, recently got a lady to come and help me for a couple of hours a week just to sort of go through all of that drudge because... I just can't keep on top of it anymore and it becomes so overwhelming and you've got all of the farm stuff, all of the kids stuff, all of the business stuff and then you feel a little tiny bit for you to like enjoy life and do something that you might want to do. Um, so I'm hoping that now I've got my fairy godmother on board um, to help me that life just might be a little bit easier. Uh, not easier, it's, no, that's not the right word. Um more manageable you know just less overwhelming yeah Yeah, more manageable yeah definitely definitely because my business is growing and um I've got a lot of people knocking on my door wanting me to do stuff and I I really struggle to say no because I know I can add value and this is where you know eventually I'm just about to go on a big leadership course um to help with that because I kind of got to a point where I can't take on any more work um but I don't necessarily want to grow in terms of employing people to do more of what I do if you know what I mean I just want to do what I do but get paid well for doing it or empower other people to do what I do so I'm hoping that yeah with a little bit of support there and a little bit of support around the house as well um will make things a little bit more manageable but I'm only only able to do that now because obviously I've built up my business enough I'm getting paid for the 
well for the work mm-hmm. that I'm doing. Because yeah, if you're spending so that all that time on the admin, then you're not actually doing mm. the job that you get paid for, right? So that is yeah. very good yeah. advice if you're if someone else is at that that stage where they can uh, outsource. Find a fairy godmother mm. or fairy godfather, mm. whoever. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it should just be a thing that you can just hire an adult to do the adulting things so that you can do your other stuff. I mean, people say, you know, I'll just hire a wife. I'm like, I don't I don't care if it's a wife or a husband or a non-binary adult, as long as they can adult better than I can adult. Yeah. Personal assistant. I will hire them. Who's more yes. competent than uh, me. That would be amazing. Mm. Arlene, what do you have to cuss and discuss? So mine is kind of admin related and it was something that Millie said that reminded me. It's the finding the time to fit in the appointments for yourself when you're also the one booking all the appointments for the other people. Um, My husband is good. He does all of his own stuff, but I've got four kids. So by the time everybody gets to the doctor and the dentist and the eye doctor, and we've got a couple at the orthodontist and then um, sometimes they're in therapy or they have, you know, actual extracurriculars and then you're scheduling for the next season of stuff. And so then trying to actually fit in your own dentist appointment at least now my kids are old enough that I can go at the same time as them. But when they're little, you're also hiring a babysitter potentially or coordinating with your partner to make sure that they can be home so that you can actually go and do not something fun, just like get your teeth cleaned. It's too much. Life maintenance appointments are a pain. Yeah, I know too early and I book like our flu shot appointments all at once, you know, and the, the, nurse said well you know but we have to have enough nurses on staff and I was like honey just give me the syringes like I can you know I can do the shots but I can't just buy this at the vet clinic so (laughs) yeah you know like I I get their standpoint on this but also just make it happen please because I'm not going to call you back to try and book this again Mm -hmm. so you know you get one chance it's funny I've just written I've just written on a (laughs) post-it When was I last there? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, well, I, I remember I had a text message last night actually to say um, the children's here. They they don't they they text me now and they just make you an appointment. Well, they've just put it in the middle of a school day, and I was a bit like, right. So I've got to finish my working day in the middle of the day to take them to the dentist to take them out of school so I was like no I'm gonna need to ring them up and rearrange it to get it out of school um out of my business hours as well because otherwise it's just a huge Mm -hmm. disruption just for a 10 minute appointment so um yeah and then do you bring them back (laughs) and have them try and go back to school or is that it for the day yeah Yeah. might be convenient for them but not for us depending on where you live you know like for us our dentist is 40 miles from the kids school so am I going to go get them and take, you know, it's it's not like it's a block away and I can just run them over there and run them back. It's a whole thing. <laughs> it all takes too much planning. On that note, if anyone wants to be an adult for hire, we have some potential <laughs> yeah. customers. There you go. So here you go. So thank you so much for joining us all the way from England today, Millie. It was great to meet you and to chat with you. If other people want to find out more about you, your podcast, your book, all the things you're involved in, where can they find you online? You can find me. I have a website, which is www.milliefife.com. I'm also on social media, um, at Millie Fife, say M-I-L-L-Y, Fife, F-Y-F-E, 
Um, the podcast is called The Countryside Kitchen Meets, which is on all of the major streaming platforms, Spotify, Apple Music, Google, that sort of thing. Um, and then No Fuss Meals for Busy Parents. Um, so that's www.nofussmealsforbusyparents.com. And again, that's on Instagram and Facebook as well. So um, yeah, you shouldn't have too much trouble finding me. I've got lots of touch points i think on 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 yeah. digital um you can subscribe to my newsletter and to my podcast and if you would like to buy um, my ebook um that's available on amazon um or through my website if you go through my website um i don't have to pay the royalty fees so um <laughs> so and that means that more money can, so so um for every sale um a percentage will go to farm farming community network which is a, a charity in the uk that supports mental health and well-being in the countryside for farmers and farming people which is again a cause close to my heart that helped me in my hour of need that is great thank you so much for joining us and we'll make sure to include all that in the show notes too amazing thank you so much for reaching out to me um it's it's been great chatting to you both and i feel like i've made two new friends absolutely now Come Thanks visit any time, just like if we were on a Young Farmers Exchange. I will, I will probably take you up on that offer. That would be great. Definitely. Thank you for joining us on Barnyard Language. If you enjoy the show, we encourage you to support us by becoming a patron. Go to www.patreon.com backslash barnyardlanguage to make a small monthly donation to help cover the costs of making this show. Please rate and review the podcast and follow the show so you never miss an episode. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok as Barnyard Language, and on Twitter, we are Barnyard Pod. If you want to connect with other farming families, you can join our private Barnyard Language Facebook group. We are always in search of guests for the podcast. If you or someone you know would like to chat with us, please get in touch. We are a proud member of the Positively Farming Media Podcast Network. Music.